You are Locked On Marlins, your daily podcast on the Miami Marlins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to the Locked On Marlins podcast, your daily podcast for all things Miami Marlins. As always, I'm your host, Aram Layton. I'm a minor league play-by-play broadcaster, as well as a longtime Marlins writer and prospect writer and analyst. And in today's episode, we are going to talk about some good news. The Marlins finally hammer down that television deal. It means a lot of good things for the Marlins in the future. I'm going to use some of this episode to spend the Marlins' future money in next year's free agency. If we're talking about Project Wolverine or not, the Marlins will undoubtedly be spending money in this coming offseason. They only have $15 million committed to contracts next year, which is a third of what they have right now, which is already a light payroll. So the Marlins will be spending money. How much? Their capacity may have just grown, but we don't know exactly how much, so I'm going to talk a little bit about that. I'm going to add some more color to this TV deal, how it stacks up to the rest of the league, and the difference now that we will see in revenue. Before, the Marlins were at the bottom of the league, essentially, with a $20 million deal annually, which is just abysmal. Now, closer to 50 to 55 per year, almost three times more annual revenue from that television deal. I'm going to discuss some of those factors that drove the price up quite high. We knew that the Marlins would probably double it. I thought it would be more in the 40 to 45 range. 55 is a big get, and I have a theory and some ideas as to why the Marlins were able to eke out a few extra dollars in this deal. I'm going to talk a little bit as well about the old deal, and the only reason I'm going to look back here is because David Sampson recently talked about the deal that he negotiated on the Dan Lebitard show, and that's before I talk about that deal that negotiated is a very generous word because 15 years, $270 million is not a good deal, no matter how small market of a team you are. But before I talk about that, Dan Lebitard is a South Florida legend. He came up as a sports writer down here and just was absolutely incredible with his storytelling and just ability to write, parlayed that with his dynamic personality into becoming a big-time host on ESPN, having his own show, and it goes on and on and on. The guy is just incredible at what he does. But I do have an issue with Lebitard, and I want to talk about that real quick because it pertains to the Marlins. I get that Dan Lebitard is friends with David Sampson, and there's a lot more to life than baseball. So just because David Sampson was bad at his job and sometimes he's an asshole about it doesn't mean that Dan Lebitard shouldn't be friends with him. That's not the issue that I have. The issue that I have with this whole situation is that Lebitard gives Sampson a platform to spew whatever BS comes out of his mouth against this current ownership often criticizing this current ownership and finding ways to kind of just cover his ass as it related to his tenure calling shots for the Marlins. And again, I have no problem with Lebitard having Samson on his show all the time. But mind you, this is the same person who threw a temper tantrum when he had Rob Manford on his show saying, how are you letting this ownership do this to my team? How are you letting them just ruin South Florida sports and just berated this current ownership for the trades that they made? And I guess it. You can have whatever opinion you ha- you want to have on those trades, but to criticize this ownership for those trades when they were dealt 
somewhat of, and I know they purchased the team, but the hand that they were dealt personnel-wise was not great, and then just allow David Sampson, your friend, this platform to bash the current ownership as if Samson was some well-intentioned guy who didn't make mistakes. And look, everybody's going to make mistakes, especially when you're in charge as long as David Samson was. But the fact that Lebetard was so outwardly critical of this ownership and then just welcomes the spewing of David Sampson is just so hypocritical to me because Sampson is the reason why the Marlins ownership that took over had to hit the reset button. Loria and Samson weighed Marlins baseball down and set the team back years and years and years with their ineptitude and with their priority of profits. You know that, Dan Lebetard, too, but you're going to pretend that that's not the case because David Sampson's your friend, and you're going to take that frustration out on the current ownership, which is making a very clear effort to win ball games and is very different from the Loria-led Marlins and clearly has a plan to win in the long term. I'm not saying that you can't be friends with David Sampson. I'm not saying you can't have him on his show. But all I'm saying, Dan Lebetard, is when the Marlins are winning again and when they are putting it together, don't come back around and say, oh, look at my hometown Miami Marlins. They're killing it. No, you can stay over with David Sampson, give your fake congratulations, and just keep to yourself because there is just too much hypocrisy here. And if you want to take that stance along with your friend, then take it. But don't come back around and act like Mr. Miami when the Marlins start winning again. That's all I wanted to say on that because him giving Samson that platform is absolutely ridiculous and there is just no reason to keep David Sampson relevant in South Florida sports. I get that he has this big podcast, and it's honestly a good podcast. He gives a great perspective. If you can ignore the high-pitched voice and get through that, he provides some really good insight on just what goes into managing a team and the personnel decisions that go with it because whether you're good or bad at your job he did it for a while and he experienced a lot the show is very interesting so there's a relevancy to him in baseball but why do we have to continue to act like he has some sort of perspective on this Marlins team he knows as much about the Marlins at this point as he knows about any other franchise in baseball every single person within the Marlins organization and front office that had any ties to David Sampson is no longer there So there is no reason for him to be any more plugged in or have any more information. The only player, I believe, that was even there when he was there was Brian Anderson. So maybe he can give you some Brian Anderson tidbits, but that's about it. So let's stop giving this guy a platform on South Florida and Miami sports. Let him just be a general baseball commentator. And Dan Lebitard, if you really cared about the Miami Marlins, you would just turn the page and stop letting the guy that weighed this team down, that set this team back, continue to spew his divisive and negative stuff that he has to say about the Marlins. That's all I wanted to say on that topic. I was not really planning on going six minutes on that one, but it has just driven me insane. I don't want to be talking about David Sampson anymore, and neither do most Marlins fans, and anybody that cares about the team doesn't want to either. So that kind of shows you where Dan Lebetard stands in that regard. Anyways, back to what I wanted to talk about, and it's this TV deal for the Marlins, which is the only reason why I was bringing up Sampson as he had just talked about it with Lebetard. And he did admit that he did a bad job negotiating the Marlins deal, but he also had to just add in that the or his 17-year-old son could have done a better job in negotiating this current deal than Derek Jeter and his group did. I always find it interesting that he targets Jeter. He clearly has this like Jeter derangement syndrome where he is just obsessed with seeing Derek Jeter fail in just a bizarre way. But let's just talk about that deal. It was 15 years, $270 million. 
A few years after that, the Marlins give Giancarlo Stanton a 13-year, $325 million deal. So the Marlins literally gave Giancarlo Stanton, that ownership gave Giancarlo Stanton one player a larger deal than their entire television contract, albeit it was several years later, but just absolutely ridiculous. Like, how backwards is that? Did any negotiating go on at all? That's why I said the word negotiating is a bit of a generous term when it comes to what the Marlins agreed to there that was paying them about $20 million annually. So the Marlins nearly tripled that total with this future deal, and we knew that they were going to blow whatever the previous deal was out of the water because it was old, so you're going to appreciate anyways, even if it was relatively the same in terms of like scaling to the rest of the league. But that's also not the case here, where the Marlins actually have a deal that pays pretty well relative to the rest of the league. The Rays had signed a $48 million annual deal in 2019, so the Marlins topped that. The Athletics signed a $48 million annual paying deal in 2009. When I give the the number, that's annually, so I don't have to keep saying annually, but the Mets even $54 million in 2006. That's over 25 years. The D-backs $58 million in 2016. That is a 20-year deal, which would combine for $1.5 billion, which is crazy. So the Marlins are right in that ballpark, and that's the impressive thing. I think part of the reason why we saw the Rays deal a bit lower and why this Marlins deal is a bit larger is that there is a very ominous and looming potential that the Rays get relocated, which would be really disappointing. They just need to relocate them to Tampa, not St. Petersburg. Just relocate them to Tampa. That would be great. They would get way more fans that way instead of where they are right now. And how about a stadium where the ball doesn't get stuck in the roof? Regardless, that I think is part of the reason why the Marlins got a more generous deal is imagine being the only team in Florida. Now your scale just grows and grows and you're going to have a lot more people tuning into ball games in Central Florida, maybe not Northern Florida, but at least you can expand a bit more that way too. I think that the potential room for audience added to the potential payout for the fish as well. So looking at the financials for the coming seasons now, as I alluded to earlier, the Marlins only have 15 million committed next year. So even to get the payroll to where it is right now, they would have plenty to spend and then they're going to have even more room to spend. I expect if everything goes as planned and the financials are not as bad as we think that now that the fact that the Marlins are going to be able to have at least 20% capacity with fans, they'll have some revenue coming in from ticket sales, jersey sales, all of those things. Plus, I got a few people tweeting at me letting me know that the Marlins are taking the Marlins Park sign down. So that'll be interesting to see what the development is there. Are they selling naming rights? That's a nice little chunk of change that would come in as well. The American Airlines Arena is no longer the American Airlines Arena. It's something something X. It's like three letters. It's a cryptocurrency. And that was a pretty big deal for the Heat and for Miami-Dade County. So we'll see if that's another stream of income as well. The Marlins have a lot of good things coming for their pockets. And we know that the team has a plan to reinvest some of that money. We've already heard some rumors that the Marlins are going to be connected to Carlos Correa and Anthony Rizzo in the next free agency. Correa is set to become a free agent now after he turned down an extension and says he's not going to negotiate during the season. He turned down six years, $120 million, which was roughly my projection for what I think the Marlins could have signed him for. Obviously, it's going to have to be a little bit more than that. And at that point, you might be better off just going after maybe a Javi Baez or some other pieces. So I'm going to talk about some of the potential targets for the Marlins and free agency because now they're going to have some money. Might as well spend it. Let's talk about how we can spend the Marlins money for them. I do believe that it's going to be a fun offseason 
this coming year, especially if the Marlins have some moderate success. That's even winning 77 to 80 games. That would get the ownership super jacked up, knowing that if they go out and get some veteran pieces now, as the younger players and some of the other prospects make their way into the bigs and continue to improve, combining that with some high-quality all-stars and a couple veterans, whatever it's going to be, that is going to put this team potentially over the top. And it's kind of what the Marlins were missing when they decided to spend in 2012 with the new stadium. They didn't have that pitching infrastructure set and they just went out and paid and just threw money around. You can't just throw money around. I know I'm talking about some big free agent targets for the Marlins, but it's pretty strategic here. They're going for the certain spots where they can see a huge upgrade and then figure it out at the other positions. So we'll talk about that. And this season will dictate kind of who they who they target as well. Let's say Jazz Chisholm turns into a stud and just really puts it together this year quicker than the Marlins thought and looks like the shortstop of the future, which we think he can be, then maybe you're not spending any money at shortstop. So we're going to discuss some of those targets and options in a moment. First, a reminder that this episode is brought to you by Locker Room. And Locker Room is a new development here in the Locked On Network and something that I think you Marlins fans will really enjoy during the season. Locker Room is the first social audio platform made for sports fans. The app is free to download. And once you're in, you can talk with me, other fans, athletes, and insiders in real time about your favorite team or sport. I will be hosting rooms for Locked On Marlins once a week. And yes, you can finally join in on the conversation you listen to here every day. And Locker Room really is the perfect place to start or join conversations about Major League Baseball and Marlins Baseball. You'll find fans just like you on Locker Room for watch parties, debates, post-game breakdowns, and of course, reacting to the big news or rumors. Go download the free Locker Room app now, currently available on all iOS devices. You got to create a profile, link it to your Twitter, join the MLB group for the latest league updates, and you can follow me at rmlayton 8 to be notified when my room goes live. It should be a lot of fun during the season, and I'm looking forward to conversing with some of you and having a blast talking some Marlins baseball. Also, a quick message from none other than Built Bar. Right now, we got Built Bar Madness going on, trying to figure out what the best tasting Built Bar flavor is. And you can go cast your vote on BuiltBar.com or Bar underscore Built on Twitter. We are going deep into the bracket now to see which flavor is the best of all. If you haven't had Built Bar yet, it's a good way to figure out which one you should try first. And if you go to order Built Bar, use the promo code Locked 15, that's Locked 15 to get 15% off your next order at BuiltBar.com. That's Locked 15 for 15% off your next order. So let's have a little bit of fun. And I know that in some previous episodes, I talked a little bit about free agent options for the Marlins and more specifically on just Correa and Rizzo because of the specific ties that the Marlins had to them in reports. And I could see Rizzo being a very likely option for the Marlins as he has a house in Fort Lauderdale. He's down here all the time. He is a local kid born and raised down here, and he is still a very solid piece. I think he's going to have a huge bounce back this year after having somewhat of a rough shortened season last year. He still mashes. He's a great defensive first baseman. Obviously, it's a little dependent on Lewin Diaz and how he looks this year. If Diaz still isn't totally putting it together or blowing the Marlins away by the end of the season, then maybe Rizzo is worth looking at for a lot of reasons. To have a veteran that's won a World Series, 
to just anchor this team. The Marlins will need a veteran to mix in there. You know, Corey Dickerson, yeah, he's a veteran. Marte is a veteran. But I feel like Rizzo is just different on that level of leadership, on that level of been there before, and that would be a great guy to have. And it's not like he's going to be 37 years old. It'll be about 32, I believe, and still be able to contribute plenty. And coming back home for Rizzo would be great for the fans. It would be great for him. I could see that being a great marriage, obviously dependent on Lewin Diaz and how he's doing because the Marlins are somewhat hoping he'll be a similar profile to Anthony Rizzo defensively and offensively. And I see him being the big factor in a potential deal for Rizzo, who otherwise would probably be my number one candidate for the Marlins to end up signing. When we look at the catchers in free agency, that's the most obvious place for the Marlins to spend. But now that Salvador Perez is off the market, and man, did they pay, did the Royals pay Salvador Perez? There's not really any free agent options. You could argue maybe Travis Darno at 33 years old, but that would just be a stopgap for the Marlins on like a two-year deal. But we saw Darno and what he did last year. I'm sure he's going to have another good year this year. All of a sudden, he's become Mike Piazza now for the Braves, and he just mashes dismantled the Marlins. So that wouldn't be a bad option as a stopgap if Alfaro struggles, but I think the Marlins are going to have to look trade-wise if they're going to try to upgrade the catcher position, and there's not that many teams that are willing to just deal a catcher. So that's going to be an interesting dynamic here. That could be something that happens at some point this season, though. I'm not ruling out a Wilson Contreras deal. Maybe the Cubs reassess their asking price, and the Marlins can come together and figure out a way to trade for Contreras because now the Marlins have the capital to extend him immediately after the deal. So if it's a trade that is dependent on an extension, that's a way of almost tapping into free agency a year early. You'd give Contreras the deal so that he doesn't have to go through arbitration, similar to like what I was talking about with Sandy Alcantara and Brian Anderson, and you lock him down for a bit longer. I think that's the obvious option for the Marlins if they have financial flexibility, which they do now, is to go trade for that catcher that's on maybe one more year of control after this year or even two years and just extend him. That might be the best move and Contreras is the best candidate age-wise and performance-wise, in my opinion. Also worth noting that the Marlins could have even more money to spend if Miggy Rowe, which I don't want to see happen, but if Miggy Rowe struggles this year, he has a $5.5 million club option that vests with 500 plate appearances, but it only has a half a million dollar buyout. So if Miggy Rowe struggles this season, takes a step back, doesn't get as many at-bats, then the Marlins have even more financial flexibility to go get somebody and then can bring back Rojas on a cheaper deal because he still has an important role on this ball club. Some of the other guys that I think could be very low-key solid targets for the Marlins I love Chris Taylor. He could offer a lot of power for this team. He's versatile, can play all over. I think that's a really good addition. And a guy that's going to play second base, offer some power. He can play shortstop if needed. He can play outfield if needed. I love a versatile player that can hit for power. Sure, he strikes out a lot, but he would be a great complement to the Marlins lineup. Still only 31 years old, and the Marlins wouldn't have to break the bank out to go get somebody like him. But when we look at some of the more higher-end deals, you have to think 
that the Marlins would kick the tires on Javi Baez. It just makes too much sense. And it's going to be financially dependent. If Baez has a phenomenal year this year and looks like his all-star form again, then he might just be too expensive. He might start pushing well into the $200 million range. If he's solid this year, taking a step towards the right direction, but still not quite at that all-star form, that could be a great option for the Marlins. Either way, even if he has a great year, the inconsistency, that might be enough for the Marlins to get him a bit cheaper than some may think. He's 29 years old, so if he wants a longer deal, the Marlins could go longer and cheaper. That could be an option. I just think Baez is such a great fit. You think about the World Baseball Classic, how electric that atmosphere was with Puerto Rico and the Dominican Republic. I promise all of the people that were at that ball game did not all fly in from Puerto Rico in the DR. There's a lot of baseball fans in South Florida that have more cultural ties to the game than a specific fandom because they weren't born down here. And those people will come out big time. We saw it with Jose, the Cuban population rallied around him. I could see the Puerto Rican population really rallying around Javi Baez. But beyond that, I could just see Marlins fans in general falling in love with this guy because of the energy that he plays with and his passion for the game. He is going to put people in the seats. While he's two years older than Correa, which is hard to believe, He's an interesting option depending on price, and I think he's going to be more so in the low to mid-100s range because he's not going to get more than five, maybe six years on a contract. I just don't see him getting much more than that. More likely going to be a five years, 120, or a six years, 130, 40 kind of deal. That's what I'd expect somewhere around the deal that Correa turned down. Ultimately, it's going to be interesting to see who gets paid more, him or Correa, and it's going to be largely dependent on this year because Correa comes with a lot of injury risks, Baez comes with some inconsistencies, but if the price is the same, it's a tough decision. I think you go after both and see if one of them falls into the right place, and whatever one, whichever player is more reasonable or seems to have more ties to you, which I think Baez would be very infatuated with the idea of being closer to home in Puerto Rico versus Chicago, which is a lot further away. He'd be just a quick little puddle jump away from Puerto Rico. I think that it just makes a ton of sense. And imagine if you bring in Javi Baez and you bring in Rizzo. You got the two teammates there that won a World Series with the Cubs and they bring some of that culture, but they also bring a lot of local ties. It would be a great fit. And the Marlins would have the money for that. I believe they'd have the money for both because their payroll would be so low. They'd have Starlin Marte off the books. They'd have Dickerson off the books. They have now Wei Yin Chen off the books. There's so many millions of dollars that are disappearing from their spreadsheet here. And then the added influx of capital, it just, it, it all makes sense that that is the time to spend, especially in the timeline where we're looking at the talent starting to come together. It all makes sense. That pitching staff is young. It's great. We don't know how long they're going to be able to keep all of those guys together. It'll be several seasons, but eventually they're not going to be able to pay everybody. So you should go after it next year. Like, I think you go after it next year because Pablo Lopez will be heading into, you know, what is the prime of his pitching career? I'd say Sandy the same. Sixto, at that point, will be starting to emerge into his true potential. That's what you're hoping. Edward Cabrera could be up at that point. Maybe Max Meyer could be. Like, there's just too many guys. So the rotation's going to be disgusting. The bullpen should be solid because the Marlins are going to be able to put some of the guys in the minor leagues in there, and they can also spend and go get a solid closer or two, even though we don't like spending big on 
uh, relievers. I hate that, but you know, when you have some money, you can go get a solid proven reliever, not a Heath Bell, though. That was a very obvious no-go kind of situation, but you can find the right situation to spend on a reliever. And those two moves of getting two solid bats and, and then a third move of a bullpen arm that's established and maybe has some playoff experience, some veteran experience, and is just very steady, can give you some foundation to the bullpen. The Marlins would have a lot of pieces in there already together to, to make a push, and then the young talent making its way up. I just think that it makes too much sense to spend money next year, and now they have the ability to do that. I'm going to talk about Gio Gonzalez's retirement real quick and what that means for the Marlins' rotational depth and then a little bit more on how the bullpen may come together in just a moment. But a quick reminder also that this episode is brought to you by betonline.ag. We've got the sports world in full force right now. Baseball is on the horizon. we got March Madness in full swing. Sweet 16 coming up. NHL season underway as well. And there's no better place to wager your bets than BetOnline, where they have real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. BetOnline has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website today or use your mobile device and use the promo code LOCKEDON, that's one word, LOCKEDON, to receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. So if you deposit $100, you get an extra $50 on top of that to wager on whatever you'd like. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. So Gio Gonzalez retires, and I don't think that's much of a surprise after how mightily he struggled in his last outing. His fastball was more in the mid-80s and just did not even look like the guy he was last year, which is a shame. I had some hopes that maybe he could be a swingman for the Marlins. It was high hopes, and now after seeing him pitch, it was only a matter of time. I figured that the Marlins were just going to release him. He ends up retiring, and I guess he just ends up retiring as a Marlin, and that's kind of nice. It's just about four years too late where I think the Marlins could have gone after him a few years back and he could have helped the team immensely and for whatever reason they didn't maybe the price was too steep but he was great for the Nationals almost no hit the Marlins like every other time he pitched against them and he had a phenomenal career Gio Gonzalez is a local kid again and I think the Marlins are going to notice that and be like okay that was an opportunity to bring the local kid back and we didn't let's do it next time we can and Rizzo seems to be that perfect candidate to do that. I don't think that it's a very big deal for the Marlins at all, for obvious reasons. Their starting pitching depth is ridiculous, but also Dan Castano is exactly what we are hoping Gio Gonzalez could be, minus the veteran know-how and that impact that he's going to have. I honestly think the Marlins should bring back Gio as like a special advisor. I mean, Dontrell Willis is an assistant coach or whatever he's doing for the Dodgers right now, which is sick. Like he's helping the Dodgers pitchers right now. So why don't the Marlins, well, one, they should have had Dontrell do it. I don't know why you wouldn't bring Dontrell in. That guy still loves the Marlins. I don't know if you follow him on any social media. He straight up loves the Marlins. Also, he just produced his own blunts, I'm pretty sure. I I thought I saw that. I'm going to have to go back and check. You can fact check me on that one, but I swear, unless I had a really weird dream, I thought I saw Dontrell Willis blunts. So that might've been something on his social media. But regardless, D-Train's living his best life. He golfs all the time and he's a pitching advisor. Why wouldn't Gio do that? I think that'd be great for the Marlins to have his veteran know-how and to still have that impact that we were hoping the Marlins would have with Gio now just without him taking up a roster spot because he's not good enough to take up a roster spot anymore. It's a shame, but that's just the case. 
and Castano can fill that role of the spot starter lefty, the swing man, might be going back from the alternate training side or back and forth from AAA to the majors, but he's going to be able to fill that role, fill in spot starts, and go back and forth from the bullpen to the rotation to the minor leagues and just deal with that. I think for Castano, he'll take it given the arc of his career. I don't know if he was really ever expecting to pitch this well at the highest level. He was solid last year. I do see some potential regression after last year, but you never know. He still could continue to get that weak contact, to get a lot of weak fly balls, and just battle out there and give you some five innings, three runs types of outings, which you'll take from your spot starting lefty when you really need it and you're in a pinch. I also think he could fill into the bullpen if Ross Detweiler really struggles, and that's the bullpen side of things too. He could end up being that lefty that you put in there. The only thing with Castano is he's not really tough on lefties. He's not any better against lefties than he is against righties. He might actually be even a little bit worse because of the way he uses his pitches and his arsenal. So that wouldn't be the most advantageous thing for the Marlins. His best role suited right now is probably spot starter. And maybe down the line, if he puts together a few good starts this year, the Marlins could end up using him as a potential trade chip, as a controllable, young, cheap lefty that could slot into the back of your rotation. But until Braxton Garrett's ready, I like holding on to Castano and having him serve as that alternate role. Going into the rotation too and then the bullpen, the Marlins should probably just take their time with Sixto. I know that there there have been some reports where the Marlins are saying they're not going to rush him just for the sake of having him at the start of the season. I loved to hear that. As much as I'd love to see Sixto throw on game two or three of the season, I'd much rather see him throw at the end of August when the Marlins are maybe still in a wild card hunt. That's way more enjoyable, and you know, patience is a virtue there because it'll be worth it to watch him pitch important games again like he did last year if the Marlins are in the hunt. You don't want to have that Steven Strasburg type of situation where a team is in the hunt and you have to shut the pitcher down, and it's just one, a nightmare for optics, and two, it's just disruptive for the clubhouse, and it's frustrating for all parties involved, fans, front office, player, everybody. So I think that would be a very good situation to avoid. And it's not outside the realm of possibility that this Marlins team is in contention for a second wildcard spot around the time that Sixto would be presumably reaching his innings limit. So you might have to space out some starts. One other bullpen point I wanted to bring up is that the Marlins could, and again, this is dependent on how they are looking and if they're contending, they could bring up Max Meyer for a bullpen role this year. This is becoming more of a popular thing that we're seeing with top pitching prospects that are polished, that have a two-pitch mix, that are ready to go, that teams are not opposed to bringing them up, giving them a taste of the big leagues via the bullpen, and then that doesn't mean that he's locked in for a major league spot the next year. He can go back to the minor leagues and still work on just his three-pitch mix and getting deeper into ball games and all of those things. Meyer didn't really have a huge problem with getting deep into ball games. He was actually pretty solid at it, and that's why I think the narrative that there is risk around him being a starter is is somewhat unfounded, but I think that this could be a cool situation if the Marlins are competitive, kind of like we saw with Garrett Crochet, like we saw with uh, Ryan Weathers. If Max Meyer looks solid out of the gate, that could be a cool way for him to break into the big leagues, get the fans excited, and then maybe he gets a chance to try to crack the big league club the next year. And if he doesn't crack the club, he spends the first few months of the season working on just going deep into ball games, and then eventually gets the call up. That would be a fun development. I think we could see a similar thing with Edward Cabrera, more so on the side of just the Marlins want to operate with caution because of his injury risks. And when he comes back, whether they'll want to build him up or not, you know, I'm sure they're going to want to ease him into building up innings on that arm. 
But if you want to have him on an innings limit and you don't want him starting ball games anymore at a certain point in the minor league season, then Edward Cabrera could get moved up to the major leagues as a reliever to kind of keep him from reaching that innings limit and also help your big league club out because Cabrera's pitch mix would be ridiculous out of the bullpen and he'd probably be living in the triple digits. So there's a lot of interesting opportunities that the Marlins have thanks to their incredibly deep and talented system that'll make things fun. And I will definitely be keeping you up to date on all the latest developments in the minor leagues, trying to keep you up to date on who's doing what, how each player is doing. The Marlins minor leaguers report in just a few days, so there's going to be a lot more to talk about and a lot of things to watch as the season approaches and unfolds. As always, thank you for listening, and I look forward to talking Marlins baseball with you tomorrow.